The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Listeners, I went for a run today. Now, it was not a marathon like our esteemed producer, Price Atkinson's wife, Rebecca, is running in Chicago, or will have run already by the time you're listening to this show. But it was a beautiful, bright-skied, crisp fall day here in the D.C. metro area, and I took a wooded trail where I saw evidence of fall. Just beautiful. Today's guest is Nicole Kirschhoff, the founder and CEO of Live Advantage Bait, a premium wholesaler of warm water marine fish fingerlings and eggs for bait fish and food fish in Florida. If you're a longtime listener, you may remember her from the first season. Either way, I have really found her reporting over Instagram on water quality pre and post Hurricane Ian very interesting. Our conversation about sea level rise, compound flooding, and the perils of urban runoff coming up next. Listeners, welcome back. I, as promised, am here with Nicole Kirschhoff. Nicole, welcome to the show. Welcome back, I should say. Thank you. Glad to be back. So for those listeners who were not around for season one, and maybe those who have a little cobweb in their brain, because that was kind of peak pandemic when, uh, I don't know about you, but my brain really doesn't remember anything from those, like that summer 2020 time period, um, remind us about live bait and, um, uh, live advantage bait and what you do there and, um, how you got engaged and involved with this business. Yep. So my name's uh, Nicole Kirchhoff, as she said, and I own a company called Live Advantage Bait. We are primarily a hatchery uh, for marine bait fish and marine food fish. Um, probably about 90% of our sales right now are marine bait fish. And it sounds like a niche industry, but in the state of Florida, $275 million a year is spent on live bait for recreational fishing. Um, it indirectly supports the $6 billion a year spent in Florida on recreational fishing. And, um, it's important, not just for that direct economy impact, but indirectly for tourism and restoration and keeping the pressure off the wild stock so that the sport fish can eat in wild and all well, that's that what I was going to ask is what is the ecological advantage to having a hatchery as opposed to, um, can you harvest your bait from the natural environment? Yeah. So right now, unless you're buying uh, fingerlings from my farm or, or from one of my customers who grows out my fingerlings, all of the bait for sale and bait and tackle shops are from charter fishermen or anyone is from the wild, which means it's taking literally out of the mouths of the sport fish and other animals that rely on the bait fish for food, but also taking away the ecological importance that those bait fish have on the environment. So for example, pinfish, which is one of our biggest sellers in the environment, they are extremely important to maintaining seagrass beds. They eat the epiphytes, which are the things that grow on the blades of seagrass. And without them, the, these, the stuff that grows in the blades can really perforate and reduce the amount of sunlight getting to seagrass and reduces seagrass growth. So this growing a 
bait in aquaculture relieves the pressure on the wild and keeps those fish in the wild to do all the important things that they do. How did you come to found this company and get engaged in this aquaculture? Um, I've been doing aquaculture for over 15 years. Um, I have a PhD in aquatic animal health, which is the health of fish. Um, I went to school at University of Miami and then University of Maine. And then I spent five years overseas in Australia getting my PhDs at one of the top universities in the world. I worked a lot with the bluefin tuna industry, um, doing fish health and welfare. Um, And I'm from Florida, so I wanted to come back home, try to figure out how I could do this here because there's nothing like that here and found this niche that no one had exploited yet. This huge market opportunity required a lot of R&D, but now we're really taking off and next year will be um, 10 years that we've been in business. Okay, so let's shift a little bit into talking about Hurricane Ian because, um, listeners, the reason why I invited Nicole to be on the show again is that I was really overwhelmed at the water quality readings that you were taking kind of before, during, and after that storm. And it was just sort of this Mm -hmm. aha moment of, you know, we live in a country that really, for the most part, we take for granted that clean potable water is going to be accessible to us and to not just to drink, but for our entire well-being. So for crops, for your fish, for your um, bait fish, for, you know, at, at any point along the food chain, if you are consuming water that is bad, that is unhealthy all the way up. So can we talk about this? Like what, when you saw that storm was coming, what was your first reaction? Like, oh no. <laughs> you know, well, we're some, we're from Florida and we've experienced a lot of hurricanes. Um, so first when it said it was going to the West coast, I thought, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. You know, we're so and far where away. Are you located? Are you on the I'm on, East coast? I'm on the East coast. I'm on what's called the treasure coast, which is kind of like the central part of the East coast of Florida. Um, and as we all know now, this storm was predicted for the Gulf Coast, but like all over the Gulf Coast. It wiggled and waggled, and we had no idea where it was going to go. Um, and so we kind of prepared in the background, but they never said we were going to get anything more than maybe a couple inches of rain and a little bit of wind, but never really, no one anticipated what the storm was going to do and, and how bad it was. Um, so we did the normal preparations we do. Um, before a storm, we 24 hours before we don't feed our fish and fish can go numerous days without eating. They're cold blooded. What is the strategy behind not feeding the fish before the storm? Um, There's two things. One, when animals stress out, they don't digest very well. So having that extra feed in their guts is not necessarily good for their metabolism and their stress levels. But also if for some reason we lose the ability to move water around, it helps with the water quality in the tanks. So they're not um, defecating as much um, and it really helps maintain that for a longer period of time. So we we stopped feeding them. Um, We filled up all of our reservoirs with clean water. Um, We brought in, we have artificial seawater just in case, uh, which is like a powder that you can make salty water out of um, fresh water if needed. And we did all the normal stuff that we were getting ready to do, including um, we pulled our pumps out of our pump house because we we were expecting a little bit of storm surge. Um, And then we just waited for the storm like everybody else. And obviously the storm was 
unbelievably bad. Um, you know, the loss of life is just unfathomable. Those poor people, they, they couldn't even get out. Um, you know, and, and secondarily far secondarily was the loss of you know, material goods and GDP. Um, I mean, more than half the state were out of work, you know, preparing for the storm, but then after storm, um, so that was a massive loss for the state. And, but then longer term, this water quality situation, it, it became a big talking point, not just at ground zero of the storm, but across the entire state. Um, so what you watched on my Instagram was our experience with the water quality. So we pump water. Um, we have one of, we have a license from the state to pump water from what's called the intercoastal, which is in the state of Florida, the coast is bordered by these barrier islands and the barrier islands go between the mainland and the ocean. So the, the little bit of water that's in between the mainland and these barrier islands is called the intercoastal. And um, basically the rivers in the urban flow goes into the intercoastal and then goes out inlets to the ocean. So we are, we suck in water from the intercoastal very close to the inlet, like within a couple miles. And we never really have any fluctuations in salinity. It's usually pretty high about, you know, 30 to 33, which is full strength salinity of ocean water. Um, and that's why we located our farm there is because water quality is paramount. Um, when this storm happened, there was naturally before a storm, there's, um, sewage facilities, wastewater facilities, um, clean up the water as much as possible, but they try to get as much out as possible because they're anticipating this infiltration from broken pipes and, and storm surge and other things, to these plants. So that's normal. But after the storm, um, we didn't realize how much urban runoff there would possibly be. So this storm created massive flooding all over the state. Um, well, and we, I just want to stop for a second because what you just said was after the storm. And I think that yes. if you haven't lived through a hurricane, you're watching like when the eye goes over a, a certain part of the country and you're thinking that must be when it's at its worst. But oftentimes mm -hmm. it's the post-storm. Yes. Like Post-storm storm is way worse than the storm. Even if you're, even when you're in the eye, I mean, that, that initial wind, that initial damage, it's bad. But the worst part is after the storm, there's flooding, there's no electricity, there's all kinds of impacts that linger for a really long period of time. And so what we experienced in Florida with this rain, um, was completely exacerbated by things that we've done in the last couple of decades and climate change, whether people want to believe it or not. And so I think the most important thing is to tell people about this new phenomenon called compound flooding that we are now experiencing all over the country. So compound flooding is like a death by a thousand cuts. We've done a lot of things to our environment that has reduced its ability to, um, accept these mass amounts of water that is now coming at very short periods of time because of our changing climate. So for example, in the state of Florida, we have multiple things that are happening. One is the sea level is rising. So in Fort Myers, where the storm hit, the sea level has risen seven inches wow. since and the 1960s. Wow. Since the 1960s. 
So within people's lifetimes, it's raised seven inches. In the IRL, the Indian River Lagoon, where my farm is, it's raised 10 inches. And you can see and this. Florida is a very low elevation state, right? This is yes. like, <laughs> there's not really a lot of room to give. Florida is as flat as flat can be. Our highest elevation in the entire state is 300 feet. Wow. So most people live at or just above sea level. And so you see this on TV already in Miami Beach. Every time it's high tide, it floods. Mm -hmm. And in Florida, our ground is sand and Swiss cheese like rock. So when I say flooding, it doesn't mean we can put up these massive seawalls like they do in other countries around the world to prevent the ocean from coming in. This water is literally coming in from under your feet, from everywhere. Because is it Um, limestone? Is that the... Limestone, yes. It's like a coquina-like limestone um, underground and then sand. Wow. Um, so, so it literally this, is coming from literally under, coming yeah. from under your feet wow. and you can't stop it. I mean, you're not going to pave an impervious yeah. service, every single piece of ground it's coming up. So what, when it used to rain, like it rains around the country, probably where you live, you got some puddles in your driveway, you know, mm-hmm. but the ground kind of accepts it and it goes away. It goes in the groundwater. It disappears in a couple hours. Well, when the water table is rising, We're reducing that ability for the ground to accept water because the groundwater is at the surface already. Yeah. Well, then we also done things like we have straightened rivers because people want to live on them. We've reduced wetland capacities of lakes because people want to live on them and have their docks and have their views. We're, We're reducing all of the ways that the natural environment used to be able to accept this flood water and release it slowly. But also with sea level rise, we've also have flooding from tides. So right now in Florida, what also made it worse is we're having king tides, mm-hmm. which is the highest of high tides of the year. So already the high tide in my area is three feet higher than normal because we're having king tides. So this hurricane came when we were already experiencing coastal flooding. Wow. So all these things are creating this what's called compound flooding. And so because of this climate, changing climate, we're having more frequent flooding and the flooding is lasting longer. So after this hurricane, places like Orlando, um, which wasn't even in the eye, but they got massive amounts of rain, had flooding and flooded streets. They're still flooded. It has not drained away. Places in Fort Myers that were impacted by the hurricane storm surge, they're still underwater. There's nowhere for this water to go. We used to take advantage of this unlimited potential capacity of the ground in the ocean to just accept as much flood water as possible super fast. But that's not happening. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So what I saw in my farm was this impact of this mass amount of rain being discharged to the ocean from a million different sources all at the same time with the compounding factor of rising sea level and king tides. So what was happening is all this water was running off the land, trying to get to the ocean, the lowest gradient possible. At the same time, the ocean is pushing back with tides and sea level. So we're getting this compounding factor on the coast where 
we were measuring tides that were a foot or two feet higher than normal because of this water pressure from the land colliding with the water pressure for the ocean, creating this bubble on the coast. It's like a reverse water. tug of war, right? So they're coming. Reverse tug of war. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They're pushing at each other. It's like plates colliding, right? Wow. And so we were seeing this happen day after day after day. Every time the tides would come, we would see this flooding come rushing in from the ocean. And we were seeing salinities that were 10, 20 points lower than normal on our coast every single day. So it has been eight days now, nine days now since the storm. This morning was the first time we've measured salinity back up at full strength salinity. And this is all local runoff. There are no, in Florida, we have this massive capacity in the Lake Okeechobee, which is the second freshwater, largest freshwater lake in the, in the country um, that we dump water into. Um, and you've probably heard on the news sometimes when they open up the locks of this lake and dump it out the East Coast, it creates all this freshwater issues. That lake is closed right now. Actually, things are backflowing into the lake because we've had this massive drought. So I'm not talking about us opening up locks and discharging mass amounts of water. This is literally salinity drop from a local runoff. Wow. And what is the impact of that salinity drop on your hatchery? So you have to think of what's in this water, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to think about what's in the water, Nicole. (laughs) So this is water that's landing on roads, Yeah. which I mean, would you eat off a road? Probably not. Right. There's fuel. There's all kinds of nasty stuff on that road. Um, You know, microplastics, all the pieces of rubber off the tires. And this is from broken sewage lines that is now free flowing into the water. This are septic tanks, which are now floating. So basically you're flushing directly into the puddles in your front yard. Um, this is chemicals that people have put on their yards mm-hmm. to kill whatever they're trying to kill, basically whatever they bought at the hardware store, almost completely unregulated mm-hmm. or on Amazon and just dumped on their yard. All of that is now flooding into the coastal environment. We also have disease, right? Mass amounts of bacteria from that sewage, from all the waste, the decomposing plants and whatever might've died in a storm is now flooding into the coast and being stuck there, right? From the tides pushing back and just creating these mass problems. So we have disease um, concerns. We have nutrient concerns that fuel harmful algal blooms and fuel even bigger bacterial blooms and reduce the environmental quality on the coast can be killing seagrasses and everything else. And these chemicals that, I mean, they could be doing all kinds of things. So we haven't been able to pump in new water because we're afraid of this lower salinity equals really high risk of all of these pollutants. And we yeah. can't bring these in to expose our fish. Right. Plus, I mean, we don't even want to touch this water. Of course you not. wear high boots, yeah. you sanitize afterwards. Um, yeah. You don't want to bring your kids to go swimming at the beach. No. Um, and this has really long-term implications for our economy. I mean, tourism, beaches are shut down. Yeah. And they're shut down, not because, oh, they look ugly because the brown water from the urban runoff just looks ugly. No, it's unsafe. Unsafe. Right. And I think that that is something that often gets lost when we talk about climate change is 
people, you know, you hear all the time, we can't address climate change at the risk of the economy and jobs and that kind of thing. But climate change is posing a risk to the economy and risk to jobs. There is a, I mean, we have a, a direct loss in GDP in our state because of these climate change impacts, because of flooding, because of storms, increased severity of storms. I mean, people, we've basically been on standby mode for eight days at my farm, plus the three days before the storm when we were preparing. And that's everybody in the entire state. You can imagine the loss of GDP yeah. in the state from, from this one storm. Yeah. Um, and hurricane season's not over yet. It's not over yet. And I mean, this storm went up and it impacted North Carolina and it impacted mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other places. And the loss of yeah. GDP there is, is unfathomable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it does, it impacts everybody. In 2021, we had 20 natural disasters in the U.S. that cost $1 billion or more. Mm-hmm. That's a hefty price tag. It does. And that, I mean, I don't think that cost counters that's a cost of material loss that's not the loss in productive workers Mm -hmm. gdp so i've read a study that said for each loss of day of work for the workers of the united states from covid from natural disasters that loss of one day equals 90 billion dollars of losses to the u.s economy wow and I mean, every time we have a natural disaster, every time we have a hurricane, that's multiple days of lost GDP. And when you think about money, long-term impacts too, of like kids not being in school. And, you know, we saw this during the pandemic, like it, it impacts your whole education, like just a couple of days when you're young and, and you need the continuity of those lessons and stuff. And, and that's stress. There's mental stress too, on top of all of this. So there's just so much, there's so many layers. There is, there is so many layers. I mean, you I call it compound kids. flooding. And I'm thinking about like just compound it's, it's everything. It's almost like climate change is putting this compound interest on all aspects, right? So you have the economy yep. you have mental health, you have physical health, you have um, the ecosystem. I mean, there are just so many layers. Yeah. I mean, climate change impacts literally every part of our lives, whether people want to believe it's it or not. It, it impacts our well-being. It impacts our health. It impacts our happiness, our productivity, our longevity, everything about our lives. Well, it must be really frustrating for you as a businesswoman who um, is straddling, you know, the need for a healthy ecosystem and the need for a strong economy to just see how dismissive people can be of, of climate change. And it's happening, especially in a state like Florida, that is literally on the front lines. It is. It's very disappointing. I mean, we, we hear this all the time. My business completely is dependent on a healthy, healthy water, not just from my farm to bring in to, to raise my fish, but also healthy water in terms of, we need a tourism Yeah you know, economy, we need, we need recreational fishing. We need people with enough disposable income to be able to go fishing, to be able to afford a fun retirement. And, um, all of that is really important, not just for my business, but for, I mean, I want to look forward to a great, like retirement. (laughs) (laughs) I 
want to be able to go on holidays and like enjoy the beach and go like on the weekends with my children and and have fun. Um, Yeah. Nicole, I want all those things for you too. And I also just want to be mindful of your time. You've been really generous just talking us through some of these challenges. And uh, I know that you, the work probably never ends for you, Um, (laughs) but we wish you all the best and I'll be continuing to watch your Instagram and hope that those salinity levels stay up where they need to be. And really hoping that Florida gets spared the rest of this uh, hurricane season. I do too. Thank you so much. Price, this is the big weekend, huh? Rebecca's running the Chicago Marathon. Headed to Chicago, although that race will be in the books and will be done by the time this episode airs. So yes, we are heading to the Windy City. First time on an airplane in a little while. Excited. Whole family's excited. I'll tell you what, nobody wears a mask anymore because I just flew out West and I was one of like a handful of people. (laughs) So uh, it does feel a little bit different, but best of luck to her. I know when our listeners hear this, the race will be over, but um, we are recording as Price is about to depart. So um, I was thinking of her on my run this morning, my two and a half mile run. (laughs) I'm about to go get mine in, but it won't be anywhere near the training distance that she does. But yes, we, on a side note, we will be wearing masks too, because the last thing we want is for her to end up somehow with COVID right right beforehand. Yeah. That's just, we're going to take all precaution. Yeah. Well, speaking of working hard, guess what? What? We are so close to our hundredth episode ever. Yes, we are. It is around the corner coming up next month, and well, we got some uh, some exciting things planned. Yeah, so um, the episode will air on November 8th. There's nothing else happening in the country on that day, ha, 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 election day, which I only know because I did my election judge training last night, and so it's like right in my mind. Anyway, we are having a 100th episode, listeners. I guess I never really thought I did not think we would get here, but it feels like it came up upon us really quickly. And uh, we'll be doing a little best of the five seasons episode for you all. But we were thinking it would be really fun if some of our listeners um, either sent us a voice memo or an email that we'll read on the air, just talking about some of your favorite episodes. Maybe there's one that stands out or a handful that stand out. And basically, why you're a listener? Why do you get this podcast in your ears every Tuesday or whatever day you choose to listen to it? Um, it helps us, you know. It it makes us feel good, first of all, but it also just helps us create programming, and it might help others um, find us to hear. You know, someone might hear what motivates you, and maybe they'll introduce the podcast to a friend who thinks similarly. So um, just share with us what your thoughts are, favorite episodes. Um, you can email me at chelsea at republicen.org. Again, um, just a written message or even a voice memo if you want to record it. 
Yeah, your your input, your voice is important. We want to feature it. We want you just to tell us what you, yeah, everything you just said. What you like about the podcast? Um, maybe if there's there a favorite interview we did? Just anything. We would love to just feature you because you are the one that invests with us every single week. When you download, listen, subscribe, it is because of your time and your investments, and we want to feature you, listeners. So please let us know. Send, like you said, send uh, Chelsea uh, a voice memo, uh, a, a short recording, whatever you'd like to say, or even just an email that just encapsulates, you know, your feelings, what you like, um, something that we've done, something you want us to continue doing. Any feedback, all feedback is welcome. So, right. as as it always is, it's is it, this special occasion we might um, choose to read or air um, your words. So that, that's right. What started uh, a couple of years ago is now uh, blossomed into this full fledged 100th episode coming up next month. And we couldn't be more excited, especially the support our team has given us. And again, the support of listeners, because it is listeners, you guys right now that have, uh, in, again, taken the time to to listen every single week and, and drive the numbers up of downloads and listens and everything like that. So we just appreciate you. So that's why we want to uh, feature you guys and, and also say thank you and celebrate a little bit. So with with that said, I uh, want to shout out some new members who are standing with us this week. We do it every week, uh, and we want you to stand with us if you're not doing so already. Republican.org forward slash join. Uh, that is where you can do so. It takes 30, 60 seconds. It does not take long. We don't spam you, uh, but there's power in numbers, folks. You know it, we know it, and we need you. And we want to shout out a couple of new ones that have signed up and are standing with us. As of this week, Joseph T. in West Virginia, Anna C. in Oregon, Michael J. in Indiana, Stacy R. in New York, and Sterling K. in Utah, where we spent a lot of time there out uh, west, Bob did, uh, in September. So we appreciate everybody who has signed up to stand with us and tell a friend, uh, get somebody you know on board, because we still would love to uh, continue to add you. New people, we're always looking for new people. That's right. And I was listening to the states that those new members are from and we are really covering like <laughs> geographically that's a really big chunk of the united states so um there's something for everyone no matter where you live absolutely chelsea what do we have on tap next week so next week we um will continue a little bit in this theme of talking to people in florida post hurricane ian we have um, Brandon Schuler from American Water Security Project, and one of his board members, Martha Collier, will be talking about a host of issues around water quality, including um, development on our coasts and kind of what we need to be thinking about moving forward as we are really in an era of, um, it's not a matter of, is climate change happening? It is happening, and we're seeing the impacts, and so looking forward to that conversation. Well, I am too, and excited for that, but also continue thoughts and prayers for those down in the southwest part of Florida. Uh, they're so affected, devastated uh, by the recent Hurricane Ian. Um, Brandon, I know, was telling me the, the other day just what a proverbial bullet they dodged. I mean, it was very, very close. He, he was telling me something interesting. Uh, about, you know, afterwards, you know, they were out of power for about four days, but they got lucky because usually after the hurricanes, it's usually pretty hot, humid, especially down there, yeah. but it was really cool. And so, 
you know, when you want to run that fan and you're just <laughs> trying to cool off without any kind of AC, any kind of power, they said they really got lucky because not having power for four days and it not getting above uh, 70 degrees, it just stayed so cool in the 60s there. So also a really, um, a really fortunate uh, thing for a lot of people down there. Yeah, I'm too faint of heart to ever be in Florida, live in Florida. <laughs> the, the idea that I would lose power and then have heat and humidity. And anyway, we are very grateful for all our Florida, Floridians, members, guests on the show. Um, we have a really large network down there, and we've been thinking of you all during this time. Yes, we have been, and we'll continue to do so. All right, Chelsea, we'll see you next week. Appreciate everybody downloading, listening, subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just search the Eco Right Speaks, and you will get a new episode every Tuesday. Until then, we will talk to you next week, Chelsea. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast, brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.